Hello, listeners. Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music. Include it with Prime. Hello, listeners. Tonight, I'm going to be re-presenting a series I first released in 2021, just seven months after the disappearance of Zach Lefebvre occurred. The timing of this release is not coincidental. January 1st of 2024 will mark the third anniversary of the last time Zach was seen. As well, given the downtime the show had over the holidays, I took advantage of the opportunity and gave this prior series a technical, fresh coat of paint. So let's get into the episode. You are listening to the Nighttime Podcast. New Year's Eve is a special night. As the final minutes of the year are spent, we're often surrounding ourselves with family and friends to celebrate both the year that was and look forward to applying the lessons we've learned to the upcoming year, hopefully making it a little better than the last. New Year's Eve is supposed to symbolize the end of a chapter and New Year's Day renewal, or perhaps a fresh start. But in the story we're going to hear tonight, any symbolism embedded into the New Year's celebration is twisted into a cruel version of itself. Our story takes us to New Year's Eve 2020 in Yarmouth, Nova Scotia. The central figure in this episode, 21-year-old Zach Lefebvre, plans to spend his night celebrating the new year by partying with friends at a local hotel. But sadly, as the calendars change from 2020 to 2021, something would happen in Zach's life that would bring about the kind of change that he nor any of his loved ones would ever have expected. After stumbling out of a house party only minutes before the New Year's countdown begins, Zach seems to walk off into oblivion. And the only trail he leaves behind doesn't provide any form of answers. Far from it. The last known sighting of Zach Lefebvre was at 12.25 a.m. on New Year's Day 2021. A passing motorist noticed a young man not wearing any pants walking alone along a dark stretch of road. It's widely agreed that this pantless man was Zach, and this seems to be the last time anyone saw him. But as you probably imagine, there's a whole lot more to this story, and in a multi-part series, I'm going to try to get into everything. Tonight, in this episode of Nighttime, to get us started, we're going to explore the events that lead up to Zach's disappearance, we'll hear what we know about his activity that night, and of course we're going to follow the complicated route the search for Zach has taken. To help guide us along, I'll be welcoming the Lefebvre family spokesperson and Zach's first cousin, Kimberly Morton, for a discussion around the disappearance of Zach Lefebvre. This whole community is suffering and wanting Zach home, and we won't stop till we have him home. It's been an emotional start to 2021 for Zach Lefebvre's family and friends as they continue to hold on to hope that he will be found. He wished me a happy new year and he was happy. And I said, what's so special about this? Happy new year. He said, it's a brand new year. And that's the last I heard of him. So, Kim, where I'd like to start is with you telling me a bit about 
about your role as family spokesperson. Like, how, how did this come about? How did you end up speaking on behalf of Zach's family? Um, well, at the beginning, we had another family member doing it, and she now is kind of my sidekick. Uh, I'm the more public Facebook kind of person with the comments and messaging people for questions and whatnot. And she's more like just behind the scenes, kind of making the phone calls, doing the investigative work, like help we help each other out. Um, I was just asked by Lorna and Darren to do it. And, I wasn't gonna ever say no. I'll. I told them anything you need. I'll be doing it. So I reached out, asked if I could take like the the media calls and set things up. And like I said, with the Facebook comments, it's it, the Facebook page. I'm a moderator on there. Um, yeah, they just wanted somebody to take care of that stuff, so they didn't have to have the bombardment of everybody trying to get to them yeah. so I kind of weeded yes. out for them like I'll send them stuff or like when you got a hold of me I asked I had sent her and is this okay if I do this like do you mind do you want to be a part of it kind of thing and so she gives me the heads up and, and then I go from there yeah. so I think I like a lot of people who haven't had the fortunately haven't had the experience that like your family have and I think a lot of people would be surprised how much work falls on the family as they're dealing with their grief and searching for a missing loved one. There's incredible mm -hmm. demands for, you know, interviews and media and running like a Facebook group yeah. and, and the, the group uh, dedicated to Zach, there's thousands of people in there. So I'm sure there's yeah. a lot of like drama and stuff that needs your attention. Tons. And we have a very strong team, the people that set up the Facebook group. Um, there's a lady that does these sorts of things. She she set it all up. She like I don't know anything about any of that stuff. So thank God for them people. Um, they have the whole thing. They take care of all the comments. They're reading the the warnings and making sure people are acting right, deleting what they want. I I very rarely have to deal with that. They send me stuff that they think is they need I need to see or whatnot, but I don't have to deal so much with that. So we have a whole team pretty much dealing with that too. So wow. it's it's definitely a whole community effort. It's we have a lot of people on our side and it's very great we're extremely grateful for these people some of them are total strangers mm -hmm. so yeah wow well let's start by talking a little bit about zach's family just so i can kind of contextualize like what sort of family and what sort of life he comes from like tell me a bit about first of all your connection to zach and then maybe just tell me a bit about your fa his family and your family Okay, well, I'm zach's first cousin um zach's mom lorna is my father's sister um he we're a very close family like they're very close um he lived with his grandmother at the time his mother just lived up the road everybody's right there he just he was a homebody really like he was a regular 20 year old kid mm -hmm. he's 20 20 going on 21 this year he turned 21 on the third of january and uh yeah just we just want our boy home helen mm -hmm. the grandmother she's just beside herself um yeah very close family the only son of that family Lorna's only child um he has brothers and sisters from on his father's side um they're from New Brunswick they actually came some of them came down when we were helping to help search came right down um yeah very close yeah and I know you're you're a bit older than Zach what what was what's your relationship like with him like a, despite the age um, difference I'm sure you're around together a lot in a, a small town like Yarmouth well, not really the last couple of years. Like I said, I don't really go places and he's 21. So like partying, but like, I'm really close with my aunts and stuff. Like, so, um, yeah, he, 
we just, I babysat him a bunch when we were little. And I remember there was a one time I babysat him. It was only a couple hours. And I think it was the first time. And I was, like I said, I'm only 14 years younger. So I was, I don't know, 15 maybe. And that kid was wild, <laughs> wild. I couldn't control him for nothing. I said, when they got back, I ain't having kids. This, this, is, this is it. No, he was wild. Just a wild child. Loved act- activities, active, running around, just crazy. He was, mm-hmm. he was a very wild child. He loves, loved kids as like a little boy. He, like my daughter, when I had my daughter, loved her. His little cousin, Mackenzie, they were just inseparable. And there's a picture of his, uh, his grandfather's daughter and her son and him and he's feeding them a little bottle like he loved oh. kids yeah, very very kid friendly yeah it's funny when you look at like the photos that are circulating of zach surprisingly a lot of them are him with the like kids on his lap and you know. yeah he loved children like love them mm-hmm. and it was like him and mackenzie are only well mackenzie is uh gonna be 16 so they're only a couple years in difference age difference so when they were little they were always together mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you mentioned that at at the time of his disappearance, he was living with his grandmother. But what was her grandparents? But what was his life like? Like, what kind of things was he was he into or spending time doing? Four wheeling the whole day, New Year's Day before the party and stuff. They, him and a couple of his friends were out wheeling all day. Spent the whole day out wheeling and then uh, come home and went out or whatever. But yeah, four wheeling. He loved baseball all sports just playing video games with his friends Lorna said that's what he'd do he'd come home after work and jump on the games with his friends or he'd have his friends over to Helen's house and like they just hang out there all the time like he wasn't a troublesome kid he wasn't out you know breaking into things and robbing places no trouble with the law it wasn't like he was some wild child he was just a regular 20 year old kid yeah that's that's how so, it sounds and in all statements I see from, job. yeah oh, what, what, what was it that he that he did for his job before. Um, he worked at a, a a red and white store. I don't know if you have them. Uh, it's like a superstore, okay, off-brand, smaller grocery store kind of thing. Yeah, because I I saw the name of the company because they I know them as well as a few of his prior employees had donated money that is going towards a reward for yes, information. Yeah, the company he worked for when he lived in the valley, they um, donated, and the company that he worked for in Yarmouth donated oh. both very large sums of money. Okay, yeah. For our award. Yeah, I was. I just wasn't familiar with with the the name like red and white. That yeah, that, I don't think yeah. we have that it's here like in Halifax. A grocery store. It'd be like a no frills or a, just something like a smaller chain grocery store. Okay. I think he worked in the meat department. I'm pretty sure. Right. Well, let's get to the events that surround his disappearance. But I'll start with like from your point of view. How did you learn of your cousin being missing? Like, I'm I'm certain that in a family when something like this happens word quickly spreads do you recall how you first found out yeah I literally just opened my eyes that morning it was New Year's Day I of course went out the night before and I slept in a little the next day it was I think 10 or 10 30 and I opened my phone and the first Facebook post I see is my aunt Rhonda not Zach's mom but Zach's aunt um have you seen has anyone seen Zach Lafave please message me so of course I messaged her right away and that's when she said we haven't found him since last night he he hasn't been seen nobody's heard from him so mm-hmm. that's when I jumped in my car and I headed out there and we started our week-long outdoor search in the woods basically wow my aunt started that search at 4 a.m that morning though but we all jumped on board quite quickly community oh, really? everybody yeah because I'm thinking like when uh, like a 20 year old on new year's eve doesn't come home that night i i i feel like that 
that one night in particular, people may have a bit more of an understanding of like, oh, I'm sure he's like, you know, up to something or right. someone. But it sounds like if they were searching at 4 a.m., it sounds like people must have been right from right out the bat. Well, his, right. One of his friends, um, after they had left the party and Zach went missing, he went home. And after he couldn't get a hold of Zach, um, when he got home from the party, that's when he got a hold of, I, I think, the RCMP and uh, Lorna and they started their search. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So tell me about about his night leading up to his disappearance, because you've been able to trace a lot of what he was up to that night. So pretty much right it, until he walked out of that party. Yeah, because it, and, and it ultimately it all come down to like a 25 ish minute period. It looks like mm-hmm. where whatever happened, happened. But yeah. before that, again, it's it's New Year's Eve just passed like you know we're talking six months ago um he's out at a party is this like a party in the community with friends like where, where was he um it was just outside of the town of Yarmouth probably about uh 15 minute drive ish um they had started their night or their day like I said they were out biking on the four-wheelers all day um my grandmother said he come home around four-ish showered left around six-ish they had headed to the Grand Hotel which is right on our main street um a couple of the girls that he was out with that night had a room there so that's where they started their night um there's pictures of him in the Grand Hotel in the hallway and there's pictures of him in the hotel room, partying, drinking, having fun. Um, Then they left the Grand Hotel. I do believe it was around 10 o'clock. Two of his friends went to the party and one showed up afterwards, I do believe. Um, They got a cab there. Um, They partied, whatever. And the last thing that anybody seen was Zach was just gone. There was only one person that said they actually seen him leave. It was a kid that had opened the door for him. He couldn't get the door open. So he said, here you go, bud. And I mean, a bunch of kids at a party, somebody's going outside. And it wasn't a party of um, Zach's friends per se. It was a party of other people. And they kind of just showed up because one of his friends had mutual friends there. So it wasn't really people that Zach knew. Um, So nobody's really going to be paying attention to this kid. He's just going out to pee or going to puke or, you know, Mm -hmm. doing what they do. So he just left. And that is the end of that until we hear the witness reports. There was a couple of people that said they seen him walking along the Newell road. Um, One said that she, her husband heard a heat. It sounded like a one way heated conversation. So it sounded like maybe he was, yelling at somebody on the phone they only heard a male voice they didn't hear a female um the other person said they seen him walking because they were outside watching the fireworks so that's right around 12 o'clock right when people would be shooting fireworks off and then that's when the car reports come with the people that seen him there was one man driving they seen him walking he was driving his wife home from a party and he was going to go back fishing so his wife said drop me off at home and on your way back check on him he had no pants on it's january so when that man come back by he was nowhere to be found well, there was uh, another witness that said the same thing that zach they saw zach walking without pants on Without pants, yes. Okay. So he was walking with no pants, no pants on, just boxer shorts. Okay, I'm going to back up to the party. So just so I get the, an understanding of how this happened, is he was at a hotel in in Yarmouth. Yes. Initially, with with some closer friends, it seems. Yes, that was his group of people. Yeah, but for whatever reason, they left there for to Plymouth, which is like a neighboring community. I'm assuming yeah. of Yarmouth. Yeah. To, to go to a like a house party, but yep. but not with close contacts with people who are just 
Right. It was actually a high school girls uh, New Year's Eve party. It was mostly high school kids. Oh, really? So, okay. So he would have been so older. So we than... think that it was maybe a girl involved and one of these guys wanted to go out for a girl or something like that. Those sorts. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't anybody Zach had known personally. Mm-hmm. And the people that were at the party with Zach that arrived to Plymouth with him for this party, they didn't specifically see him leave. There's just someone in the house remembers opening the door for this guy that they probably didn't know well. Yes. According to what I know, because I, I don't really know what these witnesses said to the police, yeah. but according to what like we've been told that nobody, nobody's seen him leave. We don't know. Mm-hmm. So when the cat, so after it was around 1230, I think one of the boys said they called a cab and they were talking to Zach on the phone at that point. And that's when Zach was mentioning they were trying to get him to come back to the party and get the cab. And he was saying he couldn't because he had no pants. He had no pants on. So the pants, he he left the party with his pants is what we, we were told. And, and then all of a sudden now he has no pants on. The pants were found only a 30 second walk from where the house is on a little dirt road that leads way off into the woods. And just for like a lot of people will listen to this who aren't familiar with Yarmouth or Plymouth. And and in fact, I've said before we started, I think Yarmouth is the one spot in Nova Scotia that I haven't spent time. Give me a sense of like this area specifically. I think of Yarmouth as a fairly remote little town you know yeah. far away from everything else but Plymouth about five street lights and you know that kind of thing it's not very big you can drive it in 10 minutes the whole way around and, and what about Plymouth that must be if I've, I don't know if I've heard of Plymouth before this story. so when you leave Yarmouth out of one of the ways you you'll go towards through Arcadia and then you'll head towards what they call Wedgeport so Plymouth is would be right before Wedgeport Wedgeport's a very small fishing community fishing village um you may have heard of the tuna tuna festival of Wedgeport that's a big thing we do here every summer um so it'd be a community right before there so it's basically just one winding road um speed limit 70 kilometers an hour there's a a school right before where this all happened um, an elementary school just a small community houses Mm -hmm. quite close together and yeah and and if you were in Plymouth would, would it be reasonable to walk from Plymouth to Yarmouth or is there too much distance between the two you definitely could it would probably take you about an an hour if you're drunk and strutting hard you'd probably get there in about an hour strutting hard <laughs> yeah you know wanting to get home yeah no I, I get you um, so that was one of our initial thoughts that he was trying to walk home okay because he was seen walking towards Yarmouth yeah. not well he was initially seen walking towards Wedgeport and then seen again walking towards Yarmouth so it's like he got maybe confused mm-hmm. so for whatever reason he leaves the party and I can only assume he would have been walking back to Yarmouth or back home but it would seems to be what would make sense given the direction shortly after leaving for again some unknown reason his pant he removes his pants and leaves his wallet yeah. right with his yes. pants with money and debit card in it and his hat which the hat the wallet is is okay but him leaving his hat blows everybody's mind zach never went nowheres without a hat mm. nowhere yeah and- so for him to be drunk take his pants off he'd never take the hat off he'd never he'd never leave the hat willing mm-hmm. he'd always put that cap back on. yeah and I'm, but i'm just thinking with his pants this is we're talking about midnight in december january 
in Nova Scotia. This, it's a cold night, presumably. It wasn't really that night, though. I was out. We had a bonfire at my boss's house for New Year's Eve, and it was about three degrees, four degrees that okay. night. So it wasn't overly cold. There was no snow. The snow only started two or three days after Zach went missing. We don't get a lot of snow down here no. at all. Okay. Mostly rain. Yeah. And it wasn't too, too cold that night. And but cold enough that you wouldn't want to be walking around in your boxers willingly. Yeah, exactly. And now, what puzzles me is when I look at the timeline that you've been able to piece together, actually, actually, before I get to that, when he first disappears, I'm assuming the timeline hasn't been developed yet. When you re- when the family realized, say, the next day that he didn't come home from this party, what was known at that point? Like, I- I'm thinking it must have been it must have been a while before these eyewitness reports started to come out. It was, yeah, the next probably second day in is when they, they started with the witness reports. So the first day, like, really, in my mind, is just a blur. I just put on my my hunter's gear and headed to the woods. Basically, there was hundreds of people out. The, the community hall in Plymouth was open for us. There was people dropping off donations and food. It was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Ground Search and Rescue was out. Um, the timeline, yeah, didn't come until that day. So the first day, we really didn't know much. The first day was the day the clothes were found. So what we were thinking was where the clothes were found was on a side road. So you walk from the party and you would turn up this side road. So we were kind of going in that direction because like his pants were here. Did he take them off for some reason? Did he pee himself? Did he like he's drunk, right? Mm. To take his pants off and, and keep walking because there was a phone call to one of his friends that stated that he was on the road that she bought her dog. But that road that this friend bought her dog turns out is a 25 minute drive towards Quinnon. They caught the place called Quinnon. So it's way, way off it sounded like he was confused he was on a dirt road and thought maybe it was that dirt road because at midnight on in the dirt road in the dark in the woods it all looks the same right yeah so i don't we're not sure that if he if if that conversation actually happened we're not sure that he even knew at that point where he was if he was if he knew he was still in plymouth or if he thinks he was in quinnon Mm -hmm. or if he actually maybe did get to quinnon but he couldn't have walked to quinnon that's impossible in that time frame Mm -hmm. And, even driving is a stretch in that time frame. Yeah, and it was and it was multiple phone calls because w- when I look at the timeline, it seems like Zach, after he leaves this party, over a period of roughly thirty-five minutes, he makes a series of phone calls that appear to show him becoming sl- more distraught as the calls go on. Is that is that fair to say based on what? It seems that way. That's what the the kids that he was with have been saying. Like he, the first. The guy he was with, he said that he was with some uh, person of color and he had mentioned something about a black truck, but this friend said that he didn't sound distressed. He didn't sound out of place or anything. He assumed, okay, you're with people. You're fine. We're going to go home. The other friend was the one that had mentioned him mentioning being cold or lost. So that would, that conversation happened after the first couple of conversations with his friends at the party. This other person he was talking to was not at that party. So he was calling other friends at that time. And the last phone call he made was to one of his friends who was supposed to go out with them that night, but ended up sick and he stayed home and he was home sleeping when Zach had called him at 12.07, I think, or something of those sorts. Mm-hmm. And that was his last phone call. And then there was two or three media. So it'd be like Snapchat or Facebook Messenger calls, but we don't know what who those were to or what, wow. what they were about. So 
in in all of the calls that you know of were just to just to friends throughout you know that he was connected with that kind of seemed like he was maybe trying to find a ride he called like a, a few different people he was talking with the person people he was at the party with the most and that's when he said that they were trying to get him to come back to get this cab and um but he couldn't because he had no pants and that and then afterwards he was with people of color and he was in something about a black truck he had mentioned he had also and i don't know if these are true or not this is just what i heard from the beginning that him mentioning something about a sims road which the sims road is just uh, maybe a seven minute walk from the party it going towards Yarmouth it would be just a road a little ways up he had mentioned that and he had mentioned something about a horse and there was a horse little right around where the Sims road is there's a mailbox with a horse on it so we were thinking did he walk that far down Mm. but according to the the call the witnesses that seen him that were driving he wouldn't have made it that far in those short amount of times Mm -hmm. yeah so So really what you know is you have these calls where he seems to be at least disoriented or confused yeah, or, sure. or mistaken yeah. where he is. You know, he doesn't have, have his pants on because the pants were found and he told people this. Yeah. And he, he did say to his friend, I don't have my pants. Mm-hmm. So, And as far as the witnesses who are driving past, w- there's been multiple people who saw him. D- do those statements kind of make a, um, do they, work together like uh, do they describe him walking you know the same direction near the same the the time the times are the same um one describes him walking in one direction and the other one in the other direction but it seems like he started walking towards wedgeport realized he was backwards and wanted to go towards the okay this one was seen a little ways up here and then he was seen afterwards walking towards the Mm -hmm. so that's what we assume and then both of those witnesses went back for him and he was not there yeah and that's and that was a 15 minute time window Mm -hmm. and that and that's why there's this certain period of time that seems so important because these witnesses drive past and see him and when they return you know 15 ish minutes later he's not there so what is roughly what is that the time frame that whatever happened happened like i know the timeline that i saw had it narrowed down to a certain series of minutes do you I would say about a half an hour. Okay. He left the party roughly around midnight. Um, The witness that seen him walking was outside with her son or daughter watching the fireworks. So that was at midnight on New Year's Eve is when you shoot off fireworks. So it was, he left around 12 and then the witnesses were like 12, 15, 12, 20. And that was, yeah. So about a half hour. Okay. Of him walking around and then gone. Wow. And now with his clothes like his pants hat and wallet being found was there ever at this point despite all the searching that's happened has there been any sign or evidence beyond this stuff from that you know the minutes after he left has anything else been found that's been made public not found no we haven't found like clothing or we're still missing his cell phone him of course uh we believe he was still wearing his plaid shirt that is in the missing persons poster Mm -hmm. um none of that has been found cell phone went dead um i've been hounding the police to try to find it because i feel like in 2021 we probably could do something like that i've kind of been on the police to get some some messages and stuff off the phone so we're still we're still dealing with the phone issue a little bit 
I feel like there's more that could be done about that. We did get most of what was on the phone, like social media wise and whatnot, but no, nothing's been found, no footprints, no tracks, no, Mm -hmm. no, nothing. I just have to ask about like the social media. I often you hear of people struggling, not only to, you know, get info from the phone, but also to get info from social media. how was, how were you successful in getting the social media stuff? Was it as simple as someone having like his password or something, or were you able to con- yeah, I broke into it? <laughs> okay. I was, I was, I got into it. I was thinking, I, think, uh, I was thinking it was either that or like you contacted Instagram and I figured that wasn't what happened. Uh, I think they, I, I don't know my aunt and the other person that's the fan, the other family person was doing, like I said, I don't do technology very well. So that was all them. Um, but yeah, I think they just hacked into it, got into it. Phone records obviously came from the phone company yeah. and whatnot, but mm-hmm. the media stuff, I think we just hacked into it. Good. Well, uh, with it being such an, like an open book with really no reason, like no obvious answer, is there a prevail, is there a theory that people feel is likely, like, is there anything to go on? I got a message on January 24th from a girl and then another one on January 25th. And they named a name and that name and names that go with it. And stories have changed a bit. Diff- rumors are rumors, but that name and that story has been the one constant through this whole thing from January 24th. And, and then we add to it every single day. I get messages from people. And now the last couple of weeks, my phone's been crazy, but yeah, no, it's the same story. Basically add a name, take out a name, take change something, but because we know how rumors work, mm-hmm. but it's been the same consistent story. And we have two of those and we're just trying now to figure it if they tie together or if they're just possibly even or just rumors. Just rumors. Yeah. And I, they very well could be. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I, I just feel the amount of messages that we've received, the amount of, of things that connect people to people. It's a small town, right? You can go on somebody's Facebook and you can look at their friends list and then you know all about them, basically what kind of person they are. So there's ties and connects we've made, but yeah, there's two prevailing stories, basically. Um, We're just trying to find that missing piece. Yeah. So there's, these kind of stories that are being shared, then there's also the option of just an accidental situation, but yeah, like there is a running river right at the end of the Newell road. Very well could have fallen in there. It was at the time he disappeared. I do believe tide was coming up almost high. So it's very possible that, you know, you're drunk, you fall or, or like we saw at the beginning, a hit and run, somebody hit him and then like fired him off into the river and they carry on. Maybe they didn't even know they hit it. Maybe they thought they hit a deer. That happens here all the time. Mm -hmm. Now with these, these names that are being thrown around and these theories, like I'm, I'm assuming that we're talking about speculation that foul play was involved. Yeah. Was, was that known to be having like any kind of like difficulty with people or any kind of reason that would make him like a a target of someone's vengeance? I mean, we've heard lots of, like I say, rumors and Mm -hmm. stuff. It's not really, it's not really Zach that would be in trouble. It may be the friends that he chose to hang out with kind of thing. Okay. But we've also heard rumors that he may have done some things or like, but rumors are rumors. We don't know at this point. So Yeah. And and that's, I, I suppose a part of the problem with, 
given the profile and the of, of Zach's story and how many people talk about it, people will come out of the woodwork, I'm assuming. And, and like you as the spokesperson, I'm sure you dealt with, I, I read in the news a recent report of a ransom demand related yes. to, and although that seems to be, have no credibility at all, it, I, I think that's an example of the interest in this story kind of bringing out people who may know something, but also people who are either looking to gain or just looking to be involved in something like that. Right. And it seems like there's a lot of people that just, just want a message just to be involved or just want a message to see what I know, or Mm. they'll message me and say, Hey, have you heard, heard about so-and-so to get me talking or, or yeah, there's a lot of people like that. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that'll just say like the craziest things just, just to be involved. Like I send everything I get to the police um, and Lorna and my other my other spokesperson mm-hmm. and uh i just weed through it though i don't send everything i get because some of the stuff is just outrageous yeah but i guess that's so, yeah i spent a lot of time weeding through the bullshit. yeah well i guess that's a part of the need for a family spokesperson because if not zach's parents would be forever trying to navigate what's important and what it yeah um tell me about the, right. the and then, you know, as parents, I wouldn't want, I, I, I don't know if I would want that bombardment. Mm-hmm. So um, um, tell me about the ransom demand. Like, I, I understand that this has been, I, well, I guess, proven to be, have no credibility, but ha- what, what happened? Uh, they got a phone call. I think it was Lorna got a phone call or Helen. I'm not sure. Um, like I said, my mind's all over the place. I'll be working on something else. Sometimes I miss stuff, but one of them got a phone call and they said they knew where Zach was. And if they sent gift card codes or gift cards, then they would tell them where they were. And they wanted like $500 worth of gift cards or some kind of crazy. Okay. So they did report back to police. They checked it out. I think the phone number come from somewhere over God knows where, like, yeah. So okay. I don't know where they find them, um, but it was quick. It was only not even a month after he went missing. It was quite fast. But I'm, I'm thinking like there, what's really sad about that and dark about that is that there's somebody who is scouring the internet for active missing persons cases thinking I'm going to get some, you know, best buy gift cards from that family. And the saddest part about it is some people would do that because they do anything to like, they just think, Oh my God, you know where my son is here. Take this. Tell me like, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Some people would do that. They know why they do it. Mm -hmm. Now getting back to Zach's story, something I want to ask about is there Yarmouth is is a small community you don't often see yarmouth in the news when you're in halifax however there's been around the time that zach disappeared there was another i believe still unsolved murder of a young man named colton um yes is there is colton cook is there any connection in, in terms of like friends or anything between zach and colton like is there any link Social. Um, I don't think so. I don't think so. Colton was a year or two older than Zach. I don't think there was any connections. There's no connections in the case. They have, they have um, three people in custody right now for that case. Um, we actually have been working with that family mm-hmm. to organize walks and Facebook groups and things for justice, for justice for Colton. It's been nine months now, I think, since these guys got arrested. They still haven't made their pleas yet because of the COVID, because no. they don't want to do video calls. They, a day and a half time served for every day they're sitting in jail right now. So 
So we need justice for that family. We need people not to forget about Zach. If you checked out my Facebook or, or the Facebook page, uh, the Zach one, there's a big post I made on Thursday. We did a big walk in town, signs, horns, the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Justice for Zach. Bring, or bring Zach home. Justice for Colton. This town's a mess. It's a mess. Yeah, that, that's a good way to put on it. On top of that murder that happened before Zach, just two weeks ago, three weeks ago, there was a guy shot in the head right on a main street in our town. Um, drug dealers, drug messes. We have no arrests made in that case. We have no, we have nothing. We've never heard a thing from the RCMP on that. And it was mm-hmm. almost a month ago. So, so things like that can't happen in this town. Yeah. Cause, cause you, again, Yarmouth is a, is a small town, but is there like, is the, is drugs a problem in, in Yarmouth? Oh, drugs are a, it's bad. Really? Okay. I was parked on the street the other day and I see this man stumbling out of his mind, walking up main street with no shoes on at four o'clock in the afternoon. Wow. Things like that you see constantly here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. No drugs are a really bad uh, problem here. And one of these prevailing stories has to do with, drugs drug debts we've been hell's angels have been mentioned to us biker gangs have been mentioned to us so there is yeah there's a drug problem here yeah was um did zach ever have any run-ins with the law or any legal problems that you're aware of in any way the cops or anything i mean i'm sure he did his he had he partied he you know he was a 20 year old boy but he wasn't out selling drugs we checked his bank statements we know there was no criminal activity like that mm-hmm. the kid came home after after work every day and played video games with his friends or jumped on his four-wheeler he didn't have he didn't have people showing up to his house all hours of the night he wasn't out running the roads all hours of the night he wasn't selling drugs mm-hmm. if he was doing drugs then that's a different story so is Every single 21 year old guy in this town, pretty much. That's how this town is right now. Yeah. But there was no, no, he didn't. He was, I don't think he's ever even been arrested, honestly. Mm. Like there's been no, no break and enters, no assault charges, no nothing mm, like that. Yeah. It's just a 21 year old regular guy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way it seems with everything I read. And it seems that what, whatever Zach did in his life, he seems like he's really managed to connect with a lot of people because the, the community support and the support online of people kind of rallying behind Zach and his family has just been completely wild. Like, can you tell me a bit about the support that the, your community and Zach's friends and family have received? Well, just from day one, like I said, at the hall, the, the whoever would own the Plymouth Hall, they opened their doors for us. Um, people were dropping off food all day. That hall was full. T- stacks of pizzas, crock pots full of beans, sandwiches, just everything you could think of. Um, Lorna works for the Superstore in town, so the Superstore donated a bunch of stuff. Um we have, well, the $30,000 cash reward. That's pretty substantial. Um, that's made up from the two employers that he had and from um, one big anonymous donation and then just little other donations. Mm-hmm. Um, the search, uh, well, a friend of mine named Victoria, she uh, took it right upon herself with a few others and organized after ground search and rescue had called off their search they continued to search for, I think, a week and a half or two weeks after. They had uh, a man in the community open up his his uh, shed for them. They had generators. They had set up 
um, graphs and maps on their phones so they could track where they looked. Like it was, it was unbelievable. I couldn't even believe the things that they were doing. Like I never, I'd never be able to do that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. So but, forever grateful for those. Yeah. It's just, it's just a, a, it shows that when a community kind of comes together, people use their own skills or whatnot, or, yeah, you know, someone just, has access. We had, to- drones, we had dogs, we had all of it. People, people coming from other parts of Nova Scotia with their animals and drones and, yeah, it was it was quite something. And even still right now with the shares and um, we have a, a five by four foot missing poster in one of the stores right on the corner, a busy intersection in town. She reached out to the family for us to get her one so she could put it up there. Wow. The missing posters, if you drive down downtown Main Street or Stars Road, they're everywhere. It's all over poles. We have people putting them up store windows. They're still all out there. Wow. Yeah. And so for people who are watching or listening to us that want to either learn more about Zach or get involved in some way to advocate for him, where would you just suggest people turn? Like what should people do? Um, Definitely check out our Facebook page, bring Zach home. Um, All the pictures people have posted on there. Like you said, the timelines on there, the missing posters on there, there is uh, PDF files. If you'd like to print out your own missing persons posters, we have millions here, but like, over like we've had people from Shelburne all the way to Halifax across Canada wanting to put up these posters. So we put the PDF there so they can print them out themselves. Um, um, yeah, basically des- de- uh, definitely check out the Facebook page, keep sharing all the posts. Um, we just really need to keep his name out there. If we don't keep pressure on our RCMP who are severely overwhelmed with this town right now, mm-hmm. um, then we feel like they're going to just, something new is going to happen and we're going to be pushed back and then something else is going to happen. And that's kind of what's happening with this town. Like, so just things like that happen here on a regular basis. This town is crawling with police officers right now. And it's just, it's not making sense to us. Mm -hmm. No, one thing, one thing I want to ask before we wrap it up is with Zach's parents, how are they, how are they handling all this? I I don't think Um, I've seen other than a few photos of them, like in the marches or whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. It doesn't seem like they've they've done a lot of like interviews and stuff. I'm just wondering how they're handling what's happening. Um, yeah, they don't. They don't. Uh, that's why I'm here. <laughs> so I can do the interviews and do the talking. It's just they're good. They're they're taking it day by day. Like they stay busy, very busy just to keep their minds off things. I suppose it helps a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody's OK. We're just we've been through all of the emotions so far. Um, worried, angry now personally me at this level i'm just angry but um yeah they're they're okay we're we're, we've accepted what probably is going to be the outcome of this Mm -hmm. so it's been six months now or just going on the six months since he's disappeared um and you say we're the family's accepting it like is there is there still hope that he'll be found alive or is of course, of course, mm-hmm. of course. But after, after seven months of all of the things we were getting rumors of and hearing and the stories and, and the, the who done it and this happened, it's kind of hard to, to think that he's still out there, I guess. I mean, that could be my personal opinion, but, but definitely there's always hope. We always hope he's going to come home. I want to thank you for joining Kim and I for our discussion surrounding the unexplained disappearance of Zach Lefebvre. As I mentioned in the beginning, my exploration of Zach's case isn't going to end here. 
In the next episode, we're going to look more closely at the initial search for Zack by speaking with Victoria Sampson, who was the coordinator of the civilian search. You know, just because we knew he was intoxicated um, and that he didn't have pants on, if we did find him, we knew that he would be in bad shape. If, if he was just hurt or, or lost. If anyone listening has any information about the disappearance of Zach Lefebvre, please do the right thing and contact the Yarmouth RCMP at 902-742-9106. You can also anonymously contact Nova Scotia Crime Stoppers toll-free at 1-800-222-TIPS. Or if for whatever reason you're uncomfortable with doing any of that stuff yourself, you can contact me and I'll pass the information along on your behalf. Zach's family needs and deserves answers. Now, before I wrap it up, I also want to call out to anyone connected to Zach's disappearance who'd like to share their story. You can contact me at nighttimepodcast at gmail.com. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode, but before we part, I'm going to end with some thanks. First, a big thank you to Kim Morton for sharing her family's tragic story with us. I'd like to give a shout out to LJ from the Dystopian Simulation podcast, who provides the voiceovers for this series, and Monty Data, who contributes the music. And then lastly, but most importantly, a massive thank you goes out to each and every one of you listening to Nighttime, as without your interest and your support, this show would be as pointless as it would be impossible. And on the topic of support, I want to thank the newest subscribers to the premium feed. Lori, K-Post, and Samantha, thank you for going premium. And for anyone else who'd like to support the show, you can help keep us you can help keep this going in a variety of ways. First of all, a premium feed subscription costs just a couple dollars a month, and that money funds the creation of the show. But also the premium feed will give you the episodes two days early, give them to you ad-free, and give you access to a full back catalog of episodes. If that sounds like something you'd like, you can go premium right now at patreon.com slash nighttime podcast. And even if you don't want to go premium, you can still help support the show by simply sharing this episode on social media and letting all your like-minded friends know what we're doing here. If anyone listening has any story ideas or wants to get feedback on the show or submit a question or comment to be aired in an upcoming episode, you can do all that and more at nighttimepodcast.com. I hope to hear from you. But until then, take care of each other, hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted, and produced by Jordan Bonaparte.